Good evening and welcome to the Recollective Podcast. My name's Charlie Beale. I'm joined in the virtual studio tonight by a foursome of healthy young lads, Tom Goodfellow, James Bell, and for the first time appearing tonight on the Recollective Podcast, Mr. Michael Toller. Michael, say hello to the listeners. Hello, listeners. Finally, I'm here. <laughs> It's very, very good to have you have you here. Our episode 14, we're going to be discussing the new abnormal. It's going to be our first listen-along episode, a new format. Uh, we're delighted to try it out. And this was at your request, Mick. What, um, what do you think we're going to hear tonight? Uh, well, I have no idea because I've stayed well clear of the album since I um, found out kind of by accident they've released an album this year. So I'm really excited. I I I thought the strokes were kind of done. Um, go into maybe we can go into Julian Casablancas and the Voids at some point because I've been hot on their heels for a couple of years. So I thought the strokes were kind of over. So um, this is like amazing news to me that there's something new by them to listen to, and I haven't heard anything from it. So listeners will have just consumed episode 13, in which we uh, Tom, myself, and Jim outline our love of the strokes from day one uh you were right there throughout that journey mick um and you continued that love so just talk us through your love of kind of later strokes julian casablancas and the work of what the other members went on and did yeah well i'm sure you guys talked about this i haven't listened to it but i'm sure you talked about this that the strokes kind of were a bit of a soundtrack to our lives collectively and maybe i feel my life individually um for a long time i mean you know other bands are in there too but the, the strokes just kind of popped up at different times um that first album we got into in london when we moved down from cambridge and went for it as a band and sort of seemed to kind of catalyze us or energize us motivate us to do what we did and um and then in various ways after that um i think the strokes just like kept coming back into my life mm. um yeah and then more recently the voids uh i kind of ca- again came across by chance um another friend of mine who i sort of swap musical notes with put me onto them and i i knew julian casablancas had done his own solo thing but the i don't know if you guys have listened to much of it but got together with this outfit the voids and i think now they're called they're just called the voids rather than julian casablancas and the voids so uh i thought he'd kind of gone down that route and they put out i think two albums and they're phenomenal they're like some of the hardest um music i've ever listened to but they are amazing and i was um listen to both of them at times when i was having quite a tough time and they're quite tough albums so they sort of seem to kind of track something for me in, in, in the way I was feeling anyway you guys yeah. need to listen to them at some point yeah did they did the voids have a did the voids sorry the voids did they have a vocalist before Julian Casablancas I've got no idea interesting I've got no idea and when you say hard do you mean like they're quite hard sounding or hard work or yeah a bit of both like it's I think in like, I don't know, indie, rock, pop, um, post-punk, whatever you want to call it, like guitar bands, they're some of the most like complicated music I've ever listened to. 
and uh, but at the same time it it rocks really fucking hard as well and um it it sort of t- sometimes takes a few listens but when you get into it and like really get into it and you're and you're in the mood for it um it it's sort of i don't know it's transcendent and i'm pretty fussy about my music these days i think mm. um so yeah it like it struck a chord and i'd recommend you guys check it out sometime well this is going to be quite interesting because we just had this episode on the strokes and um we're kind of very much in that headspace having been listening to all the, the earlier strokes albums uh, and you weren't there for that but you've got all this void stuff in your head and you know i, I did listen to that voids album because you put me onto it um i think by saying this is what it feels like in my head most of the time and i was quite disturbed when i heard the, the music oh, it said that because it is pretty weird goes from like moments of really sounding like casablanca's writing into really bizarre very different stuff but i i yeah. did i did enjoy it um but yeah you'll have a a, a different perspective i think yeah. on this new strokes album because of that which yeah is be i can't wait like Will it be a sort of return to Strokes, or but you know something I think about the Strokes is that if you listen to all, I think it's five albums, isn't it? Up to this, is it five or is this the fifth? Five or six? I feel like this is the sixth. If you listen to all the Voids albums, which if you listen to all the Strokes albums in a row, which I I did, thinking I was going to be part of that original Strokes um, uh, podcast that you guys recorded. You know, they, they move through something. So I'm really interested to see, like, not just where the strokes go next, but also where Julian Casablancas like, fits in with that. And also, like, Albert Hammond Jr., who's, like, one or two albums I've listened to quite a lot as well. Like, he's what he's done post-strokes or parallel to strokes, I think, is amazing as well, but in a totally different way to Julian Casablancas and the Voids. Um, I don't know if there's, like, room to talk about that here, but he, he's, he's fucking amazing, like, what he's done. Mm. much kind of much neater and like more kind of self-contained but um something about him reminds me of graham coxon in lots of ways and that kind of like guitar driven like songwriting he's kind of like a i don't know like a a new york city version of graham coxon for me just these like perfectly written guitar pop indie pop songs well should we get into it guys um so this is the new abnormal it's a nine song album 45 minutes in length and that's that's typical strokes as far as we're concerned. I remember Is This It was just a, like a short, sharp shock. Um, and this is in that tradition. The first song is called The Adults Are Talking. Sophisticated, they're complaining. 
fades out um what is everyone's first impressions it sounds like the strokes <laughs> <laughs> um it's quite mellow uh, isn't it i definitely feel like i want to hear more so i have a confession to make mick put an embargo on any of us listening to this album which i've large largely <laughs> adhered to but i had heard this song before it's the, just the lead single just this song um so having heard it like two or three times previously i think it rocks i think mm. it's i think it's absolutely brilliant um mm. but i can imagine why a first listen might greet you with a bit well mm. you might you might be a bit more circumspect mm. There's also there is a little bit of like um, Julian Casablancas does sound like he's kind of been in the voids and come back into this a little bit. There was a little like 
a little stutter in there somewhere. I mean, and I mean like not his not his vocal, but um, the drums or something. I think just towards the end there. Uh, if you guys check out the voids, you'll know what I mean. Like just mm. fucking with the program a little bit. But um, I don't know. They seem to be like sitting back into it. They seem to be like relaxing back into being the Strokes. His vocals the most remarkable thing about it. Everything else is yeah. tried and tested. But he sounds great these days. Sounds absolutely off the hook. He can get way up high. I don't, it says on his website he's not been drinking since 2009, so maybe that helps. <laughs> I, do, I do think that the guitar sounds in the solo, well, as well as being perhaps slightly too long, that solo, they've always experimented with trying to have that kind of ambiguity of whether mm. is, it, is it a keyboard, is it a guitar? Mm. Um, it's definitely got that like video gamey um, kind of sound mm. to it, hasn't it? Yeah. I think we hear these things quite differently from you, Charlie, because uh, 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 over the uh, over the internet, it sounded quite. Yeah, it's hard to get the real rockiness of it. It's also just because it is quite sort of mellow, and uh, you know, I, it was pleasant, but I reserve judgment. I can't, I can't imagine going to it being rocking, but that I say it might just be the quality of the sound. Yeah, I'm not hearing anything particularly rocky. It's it's just got a groove that when when it kicks in, I can I can imagine even dancing to that chorus. Good God, even now dancing. Even now with my gammy leg. <laughs> I think this is going to be a problem we're going to experience throughout the album, though. It's very difficult with a band like The Strokes to say straight off the bat what you think of what they're doing because mm. they they're very purposeful about it and they don't make straightforward decisions all the time i love the very very close whispery vocal um mm. but yeah what i would think over a longer period of the song i don't think i could say right now so track two is called selfless let's have a listen to that
There's something a bit Interpolish about that guitar line at the end. Yes, I agree. Uh, the first thing that strikes me, I, d I don't know, some of you may have noticed this, is it's an absolute spitting image, that's, that's the right term for a sound, um, of a track off their earlier album, First Impressions of Earth. And I, I can't believe it's not deliberate. It's a song called Electricity Scape, and it's like a slowed down, mellow version. If you could play the beginning of that track again, and then cue up Electricity Scape, if that's easy to do, because it's yeah, that is. It's, it's almost like a conscious nod. Okay, uh, to so this is the start of Selfless. Okay, and then give me a second and I will look for the song you require. In the meantime, he's going to filter it. <laughs> so on first impressions of it. Um, I like the song, I think. <laughs> Electricity Escape is, yeah. goes like this. Similar, but quite different, yeah. The, the I mean, drums are slightly yeah. different, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it immediately... I, it I agree. Um, I wonder if that's deliberate, but... Yeah. I mean, again, like, Julian Casablanca's vocal stands out. And it, like... Something I'm aware of here is these guys have done six albums over ten years, and they've, they've, they've gone on, like, you know, they've done... They've all done other things. It's, Twenty years. Sorry, fucking hell, 20 years. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can edit that bit out, Charlie. No, no, it's, no, no. Goes, that's the most telling, telling statement. And they've, they've come back and they've. it sounds like they're doing something for real together, but it's like they've gone out and collected something and brought it back in and they can still do something as like the band that they are as the Strokes as well, which is kind of amazing because, you know, a lot of time by this point, they all just fucking hate each other's guts, don't they? I think you feel the fact that... Go on, Jim that they, they go and do their own solo thing in between maybe has allowed them to get over that that's a deliberate decision on all their parts possibly uh, but mm. just yeah I can't get over Julian Casablanca he sounds so mm. fresh he can do mm. everything it makes me think how shit his vocals were on Is This It like well, it, it I mean barely it's great escaping yeah. the ground at that point he can do so well, what's much good now. What's a good vocal, but a lot of the time they will run through something, won't they? Like, this sounds like he's actually singing, mm. just into a mic. But he is well, also doing, it's not, it's got a new style, but it, you know, he's kind of doing quite a lot of the same. It's this kind of slightly bizarre, strangled falsetto kind of, I mean, it's interesting, I like it, but it's not like he's doing all kinds of crazy, different, diverse things, is it? He's just doing, well, he's just doing things in a very direct and purposeful way that mm. really work, every, everything he does. Whereas I just thought he was a bit one-dimensional at the beginning. He was just sort of a loose storyteller, but I thought he was sort of very much within himself. I don't. Charlie doesn't agree. No, no, I, I want to add on the point, because I do, I, I, I do agree, but I also think there's points that we've raised in previous episodes that are applicable. One is the point that Mick raised about recording techniques. Now, it's, it's not, you're not going to get the clarity of someone singing through when, when their vocals being run through a guitar app. But then there's also just like the, 
the fact that as you get older, and I don't know if this is me projecting, you're a little bit more comfortable with yourself. This doesn't feel as desperate and urgent as a 20-something-year-old band. They're kind of okay to do their stuff and not as desperate to kind of like show the world something. And so it lacks a certain energy, but it also has a certain purity, like a, like a wine rather than a, a beer that's been shaken up. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. And like, there's something um, about this. I know we're only two songs in, and I haven't heard the rest of the album. But like, there's there's a little, there's a kind of sound coming here, and it sounds like the Strokes, but it also sounds in a way like um, it's like the kind of the Strokes, kind of with the the layers of varnish kind of stripped off. And what I love about that is that it sounds. It's obviously it's a kind of evolution of who they were, and everything that's gone before is kind of in here, and everything else they've done is in here. But that they are kind of sticking close or getting closer to something that maybe you could hear at the beginning. Whereas listen to other bands and like what comes to my mind immediately is Radiohead. Like the, the further you get into Radiohead's canon in a way, the less it sounds like what they were doing at the beginning, like to kind of evolve, they have to sort of, I don't know, go into the far reaches of the galaxy. Whereas the strokes kind of seem to be going into like the center of the sun or something like that. The other point is the alcohol point. It's it's like clearly obvious that they were drinking a lot in those first two albums, and they're not, or certainly he isn't as much. Albert Hammond Jr. had drug problems as well, didn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, you you obviously, if you're not drunk or wanting to get drunk very soon, you spend more time in the studio. You are probably more precious about the clarity of your singing and your notes, and uh, it's not always better, but it is certainly purer. Yeah, you can was, move on to the. Sorry, Tom. I thought I thought you'd pause. No, no, just to... just just agreeing that like you can see how much time and effort has gone into each of these songs in every aspect of them in a way that, which I think was always true of them. But you know that was I think it was more about capturing an amazing kind of live vibe before. This feels much more about the studio, you know, perfecting all the sounds and the arrangements and the vocals in a studio setting, which you would expect. But yeah, let's hear the next track. This one's got a, a kind of cute title, Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus.
It was Dr. Alban. Yeah, not Hadaway. Well done, because, yeah, could have. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, enough of that. Um, I thought that was quite. That was really quite similar. <laughs> I think it was more similar than the uh, my example. Yeah. But it also it also was more similar to, like, early strokes than either of the first two. It sounded like they said, let's write a song like we used to and kind of do something a bit like that. Set In a way. Me. In terms of the chord structure, or because I, I think the, Just, the recording was more like angles or something from, from that. Well, uh, mate, mm. but like I don't mean necessarily. Well, yeah, but the, kind of the little, the little rolling disco beat, and then like his distorted. There was a distorted vocal in there for sure. Like a lot it was of the- a lot of the vocal was really up front in your face, so that's what I noticed is that how, how much the vocal was really right there in your ear in a way that it never was in those early albums. Do you, uh, did anyone else pick up in the bridge in particular how his voice sounds a bit like Billy Joe from Green Day? Or was that just me? Well, there's there's a few vocalists he sounds like. He does sound kind of interpoly, and then, oh, there's somebody else from that sort of post-strokes era, and every time I hear him doing it, I feel a little bit disappointed, because it's, it's almost like him doing a, an impression of somebody who was trying to do an impression of him. Uh, I can't work out who it is, though. 
Is it Billy Joe from Green Day? No, he was prior to the Strokes. There was one line where I thought he sounded like Morrissey. He's doing all kinds of things. Yeah. It, was, it was something about yeah. the melody. Mm. Also, vocal aside, there was a bit of Pet Shop Boys in there as well. Just um, the way the whole thing hung together, I thought. There's definitely an evolution of through the strokes from being like quite a traditional garage rock setup to gradually moving to drum machines, then to synths, and then him experimenting with singing on different octaves. And it, this is like the kind of stuff I wish I wish we he or they had done a bit more of this kind of stuff because I think we would have had a bit of a boogie to this kind of stuff. Um, I just don't know who is now because people of our age aren't going out dancing listening to the strokes and young people aren't. Um, their sales trajectory suggests fewer people than ever before are boogieing to strokes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing though. I was like, okay, so that's like a sort of dance pop song, but who are they making that for? Because it's yeah. not, yeah, when we were all 21, like amazing stick it on the indie club but now it's not what the people of 21 are gonna it's a it's a weird one that was a single as well and actually of just having just looked that there were three singles off this album already and we haven't heard any of them yet apart from that one so curious mm. should we move on to bad decisions yeah first bad decision do a cover of a dr alban song <laughs>
quite scrappy at the end. I really like the end. The scrappiness of it, the slights. And just the, the little melodic, I don't know, some odd, the, the two overlaying. Yeah. And then the syncopation falling out of sync, it's nice. To me, Not that's about the sonic quality of um, building up over the song. By the end, it feels quite powerful, although the song itself is leaving me a little bit empty. I mean, if we're playing What Does It Sound Like, then at first I thought there's a bit of Carter in here. <laughs> Like, yeah. At the yeah. very beginning, the yeah. very beginning. Hey, which song we let, let's let's uh, sense check that because I've got Sheriff my own version. Batman. Just is that Sh Sheriff Batman? Are you talking poss about? Possibly, but just the sort of like the rolling toms, the sort of the. Yeah. It was all uh, toms at the beginning, but then, but then later on, I thought there's a little bit of. Um, is it? Uh, what's the, it's on the other side. It's, is it on the other side from? Oh, do you mean the Red Hot Chili Peppers song? No. But from uh, Strokes, First Impressions of Earth. Oh. Which bit of this song, Jim? Here we go. Although well, it appears to be a drum machine now. Now, Sheriff Batman started out in business as a granny farmer. He was infamous for 15 minutes and he appeared on Panorama. Then he somehow got himself on board the Starship Enterprise Allowance Scheme with a Prince of Wales award for pushing Valium and Amphetamines. Um, going back to the strokes, <laughs> uh, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like that's a that's a classic stroke song that would reward repeat listening. Because aside from the main hook of going, there's some quite odd bits of melody that you don't expect. And there's some bits that where you're just like, why did he do that? That wasn't where I was expecting the tune to go. Or that wasn't really, that doesn't sound right. And quite often with those songs, with strokes, you listen a few times and then you really get it. I, I could imagine that happening with that track. Couple of Can facts. you humour me? Oh, go on, go on. Just, I mean, you, you may know this, uh, I'd forgotten it. The album was produced by Rick Rubin, um, which I didn't realise. Who? Did. Who? I'd forgotten. <laughs> we talked about it last time, and I don't understand what the Rick Rubin who joke is. Because <laughs> I think I missed it first time. Can you explain? Or... <laughs> a bit Sorry. Similar. It was more of a just a test of whether someone would respond to it. Uh, the other thing is that it was the song was co-written by Billy Idol. Oh, okay, no, no, hang on, because I was about to play this song. So he's ripping himself off. No, this it must be a sample or something like that. So I, it, to me it sounded so much like Dancing With Myself, but yeah. if, if they've credited him, then that's fair enough, because they must have been using it it's as an credited. inspiration. Yeah, okay, it's credited. Fine. Yeah. Fine. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, well I now don't seem, I don't think of myself as that clever for making that link. Um, that's interesting, well, it's pretty though. good. Mm. Um, 
and then uh, the link to Moscow 1972, just begging you to Google it, which is um, uh, Brezhnev meeting with um, what's his face, Watergate. Oh, Nixon. 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 Yeah. That was a the bad decision, was it? That was the first of the bad decisions. <laughs> They're making bad decisions for us. And it's that's weird, what it said, isn't it? It's almost like their policy, their policy on this album was to like just slow down some shit that came before <laughs> and make it sort <laughs> of mellow. Because the first track just sounds like a, a mellowed out song of This Is It, Is This It or something to me. And then they've got that weird sort of nod to that earlier track. And then this is, yeah, slowing down a Billy Idol track. Make it I all so there's a lot over it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if you guys got this, but I thought this this track could have um, come off First Impressions of Earth, and it sounds a bit like I thought it was on the other side. Maybe it wasn't. Just in some way, there's like a sense of it. So I, I I get what you're saying, Tom. You're kind of saying that they are playing with what they've done before, or like I don't know, revisiting it, or um, maybe just sort of being who they are, really, rather than trying to be too clever. I think. We're four songs in, and I don't think we've had a dud yet. I think no. they've all been quite strong. Which they should be, as the first four. And two yeah. of them are singing. That was the first single of the album as well. Or the second so single. Sh- so shall we move on to Eternal Summer, which is track number five?
so that was they're doing the same thing with the psychedelic furs that they just did with Billy Idol. Are they? Apparently. Yeah, it's co-written by those Butler brothers. Um, Richard Lofthouse Butler, Timothy George Butler. It's, it's, it's again, it's a, it's, a, it's a line from a psychedelic furs song that he's aping. So there's something going on here. Shall something I going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the song is... Um, Ghost in You by the Psychedelic Furs. Take some of the, the vocal melody of that. Okay, let's, let's have a little listen to this. Skip it. What are you saying, Jim? Because it hasn't started yet. It's given us an angle, hasn't it? Which song is it ripping off? <laughs> I don't know much about the psychedelic first. I know nothing. I was trying to work out whose vocal style he was trying to rip off in that bridgey bit, and maybe it's the psychedelic first guy. I don't know. To me, it reminded me of uh, Pink Floyd. Maybe that, yeah, because I couldn't put my finger. Bit, um, everyone's on the take reminded me of something like the wall. Then we need to get the chorus. That bit, that bit of melody he uses in the song. So you're you're talking about the vocal. It's obviously like a concept. Well, he's moving into this phase of Julian Casablancas's. Uh, Jim, one thing you were very restrained in not talking about during the last episode is the song that you introduced me to, off the Daft Punk album, uh, where Julian Casablancas is. Uh, shares a track or co-writes a track and it feels like he's he's in this space where he's kind of sampling and doing a lot more kind of electronica. Yeah, I was just looking at their site to see the videos and they're clearly Daft Punk-esque homages and things harking back to sort of 80s video games like we were talking about earlier. Um, the one thing that this album <clears> is making me think about that song is I thought, oh, Daft Punk are geniuses for getting his sort of, you know, bar room drawl and turning it into a, like a robotic falsetto now listening to this I think that's probably just the vocal he put down very slightly tweaked mm. yeah you're right I mean I take back what I said earlier he is like doing all manner of different things with his vocal style it, it's quite impressive <laughs> and very deliberately it's like it's not you know it's almost like Prince or something I mean it doesn't sound like Prince yeah. but he's like really showing off you know what right do do? down low up high like laid yeah. back loose kind of transforming his voice very consciously in that song to make him sound like someone else. There was a point before you started to wind it down where there was something kind of going on. Um, I don't know if it was a vocal run through something or whether it was a synth, but um, it was like getting a tonal. 
mm. and sort of strange. And um, I was, you know, there was, a, we were just sort of wondering, should we, you sent a message saying, should we sort of wind it down here? Should we carry on a bit? And um, I thought that was the point where they sort of justified keeping the song going on a bit. They were starting ah. to do something a little bit interesting and a little bit kind of twisted. And again, I was thinking like, this reminds me a bit of what um, the Voids do in that kind of atonality and like fucking with it a bit. Because before that, it was it almost sounded like a kind of um, song out of like an 80s kind of um, like, you know, teen flick. And the, yeah. the, the, the title was a girl called Eternal Summer. And then it was like, is it going to get a bit darker? And it sort of got a bit darker. And they sort of, I think they can, you know, take their time with it they obviously did but building up to that and then it started getting a little bit twisted which i thought was kind of interesting so i'm not getting the references but i was getting there's something going on here which um they're sort of playing with the format of the song a little bit it's a brilliant brilliant observation it did sound as if it was Mm. like the song you play at at dawn after everyone uh, yeah in an 80s movie has stayed up all night and they're about to go off to their homes having had an all-night adventure yeah there's something else that's there's something else that strikes me about that, which um, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like we're kind of in the middle of like, who knows what the fuck this eternal summer is about. And <laughs> beyond, beyond the title of the track as well, like the title of the album, the new abnormal, like all everyone ever talks about the moment is the new normal. Now I don't know whether they it's kind freaky. of just got in there late or um, whether they've been thinking on these lines for a long time, but I think this album has been in the making for a long time. Um, like years, I don't know if the title's been in the making for a long time, but there's something a, a bit kind of um, nice, strange, kind of I don't know, connective about this eternal summer and then the new abnormal, which speaks to the moment right now. And then this fucking like things were good until four minutes thirty or whenever you kind of started to wind it down, and then things start like getting a little bit squeaky in this song. There's there's something in that which. Um, speaks to the, the times we're living through at the moment. Are you saying that in many ways I was acting like a coronavirus destroying your enjoyment of the song by turning it down <laughs> just when you were beginning to enjoy it? You were the lockdown. Yeah, you were the yeah. lockdown to prevent us from getting to the really dark period. <laughs> I, I, I think that the um, the album title was already there because I remember re- I read some press about it. I saw it come out and, and, it, and they were all going, wow, isn't this amazing? Everyone's talking about a new normal, but they, they'd already chosen that title. But yeah, I think you're right. What's really interesting about that is it's it really evokes that 80s, you know, a song that's just, it's a bit too slow and it goes on a bit too long and mm. that creates a certain kind of mood and they've obviously done that very deliberately. It's like, is it Eternal Flame but sped up? So it's like, um, but that goes on forever and ever and ever as well, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's not even sped up, I don't think, because it's pretty slow. <laughs> that same mood. Yeah. Well, that one you played from Labyrinth, Tom. Yeah, mm. exactly, yeah. It's a sort of yearning, like, yeah, yeah, like you say, that kind of end of the night, that kind of like, oh, there's something so 80s about that feeling. I don't know why. It's like, just just get on and, like, fuck each other rather than, like, fanning around with, uh, like, are we just making out? Yeah. So if this um, album was an evening, we've gone past the halfway mark, done five out of nine, we're entering mm. the sixth song. So, you know, we're, we're not in the arse end. But we're we're coming into the business end, I'd say. Well, um, this is uh, this is odd because we played the one that uh, Mickey Carr would have had us play to get everybody out the doors just before he played some, <laughs> you know, some, some aging paedophiles musical treats to really get them moving. 
So Maria McKee. Show oh, me heaven. Yeah. Show me yeah. heaven by Maria McKee. <laughs> was it? You used to play that at the end, and it absolutely sums up what I'm talking about and yeah, what you yeah. were talking about. Anyway, yeah. I was yeah. Eternal flame was the wrong call. You're right. Show me heaven was is bang Show on the money. Now just, go home. It's just too slow and too. Oh, and it just works. Okay, I just need to go and get my stuff from the cloakroom. Have you got the yeah. the, the cloakroom? Oh uh, yeah. Have you got the tab? It's pre Uber, but you knew it was time to call whatever cab you were going to take. Should have just should have made a move. You know what I mean? It's like sort of regrets as well. There's lingering regrets that they didn't get to the chorus quicker. Okay, the next song is called "At the Door," which is also bizarrely reminiscent of COVID because um, the only people I ever meet these days are at the door delivering <laughs> parcels and um, <laughs> takeaways. We won't listen to any more Maria McKee. We're going to listen to At The Door. Keeping and never gonna 
Glad you played it to the end. That was that was standout track of the album for me so far. Likewise, that's the one I'd be jamming my head in between the speakers in a Sardinian holiday home too. If I were in a Sardinian holiday home, <laughs> would be quite different. From uh... didn't you feel okay? So leaving the end aside because we now know the end. But when I got to the first and then the second chorus, I thought, I tell you what, if you stuck some drums on this, this could be a proper big song. Mm. Um, but clearly, there's a reason. Why they didn't? Mm. Yeah, I mean that was a song to like lose yourself in. Mm. Also, uh, I was thinking about the sounds because they're all they're all chosen to be very familiar and evocative of something. Uh, Mm. But one of them was that um, the bass sound in the I don't know what you would call it because it didn't really have a traditional structure. But um, in the middle, um, and it went and I was thinking, what is that? Uh, and then it suddenly came to me. It's um, a song called a sort of a deliberate '80s pastiche called "Fashion" by the Flight of the Concords. Uses that exact bass line oh, and sound. Uh, fashion. Do you mean fashion in da- is danger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, can anyone help me at the very beginning? There's so it's like that kind of weird discordant like um, synth, just the first few notes, and it reminded me of I, I think it's a track off um um in rainbows oh could be spring to mind anything spring to mind yeah i think it could be it's it's a very subtle like it just is it weird fishes is it worth checking anyway 
that aside, like that was there was there was so much depth to that, and like I'm glad they didn't just like bring the whole band in because it gave it loads of space just to kind of as I said just now just to sort of lose yourself in and um, there's something about that song which I don't think it's much Foul Start it's one of those Foul Start yeah 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 try Foul Start you've got it up no no let's let's leave this this is another listener but um this, uh, this, I don't know. The head. Radiohead. The head, yeah. Uh, do we need to? Not tonight, but we do at some point. Fine. No, there's just like, this is kind of, this is getting with the feeling, like, Jim, you're right. Look inside, look inside my mind was your little chat. But, um, there was something in the second track, which was, there was a kind of little bit of sadness in there. And like, there's something in this one where that's all going on. And it was um, they gave it they gave that the space it deserved. I thought. Yeah, I have to say, like, I, I kind of feel like I, I'm starting to get what's going on with this album a bit more now, and I feel like it's a really good album to be doing this to, mm. because it's not like a, you might say, a typical album where you know people would put on some cracking big singles tracks one to four, and then there'd be just a load of dross filler. Uh, including some of the earlier Strokes albums are like that. But what they've really done is warm into it here. Like it's kind of, this is the centerpiece of the album, right? It's track five in a nine track album and that's not an accident. And it feels like like the heart of the album. And that's a really nice kind of album to be listening to for the first time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you would structure an album in 2020 because mm. clearly there was, in the days when you had a record, you'd have, you, you know, the, you'd need to change it over halfway through. So you'd think about what ended the first side and what began the second side. And then in the age of the CD, you you have front-loaded albums where the first three or four tracks are the ones that have all the best songs. But now you don't need to do that. So how do you structure it? I think you just make sure, make sure you have a TikTok for all the lead-off singles. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, I think the, the, the Strokes, I mean, they're, they're making this album now, but they're also a band of that time. So... And they're also a band that can do, I guess, whatever the fuck they want. So, you know, I don't think people make albums anymore, but they've made an album, right? That's what they've done. And maybe they just don't give a shit because, you know, here we are listening to like an album. Like we know how to listen to albums. Maybe people who are, you know, uh, 20 years younger than us um, don't just don't know what an album is and what it means and don't kind of relate to it the same way. So maybe it's kind of invitation to do something that we used to do. Yeah, I think it's very deliberate, actually. Now, I think nine songs is really a classic number of songs to have on an album in the 80s. <laughs> I remember there's a lot of albums with, nine, with eight to ten songs and a lot with nine, including Thriller. And I think that, you know, that by structuring it the way they have as well, it's not commercially, you know, there's no reason to release any album, as we've all said, but they're really trying to make something of a statement, I think, about this being an album in, in the way it's kind of grown and the way you'd have to listen to it all to get it. And if you're not going to bother, they don't need them the money in a way right they don't need the um the acclaim either i was listening to a podcast by this guy uh rick rubin and um, <laughs> he was suggesting yeah! <laughs> he was suggesting that actually the the cadence that seems to make sense now is that you do four or five tracks every six months and that's all about tom is... petty oh you you started listening to that yeah, I've listened to a few episodes of it, yeah. Yeah. What, they, and, what and, you mean that you release all at once? 
Yeah, instead of doing these big, big album projects. Uh, so in, in this case, he was talking about the sessions for Wildflowers. So Tom Pessy came with a bunch of songs. It was actually remarkable. He was saying, um, Rick Rubin was, that they recorded like over 100 songs for that album or something. Um, yeah, and half of them and, never got released. Yeah. Uh, but to keep up with people's attention spans and the release cycles of music, you don't really, you don't have to put out 9, 10, 12, whatever songs in a year or every two years, why not just keep it fresh and just drop four and then drop four six months later? Um, anyway. Well, there's a big discussion in that, right? Because I grew up listening to albums and I, you know, the old git that I am, I still listen to albums. Like, um, I hate this Spotify culture, which is play me some interesting music and, you know, any random old shit comes up. But I choose I choose what music I listen to, and it usually takes album form. I, I then tend to listen to the, the whole album. Do you I like it when that. people uh, put on songs that sound like the song that's just been to disturb your enjoyment of the album? What, like <laughs> you're allowed <laughs> to do? <laughs> Sorry. But no, I mean, it's an, no. There's, there's, I think there's another podcast in, in albums generally, in classic albums, yeah. and why they're classic albums rather than just a bunch of good songs. And what yeah. I... I heard Rick Rubin saying that, and I thought. But I remember thinking as well when he said it. I was like, actually, but who does that? Like, people still release albums. Like, oh, yeah. maybe I'm just listening to bands that people my age are supposed to listen to. But for some reason, the album is is still quite resilient, isn't it? No one's releasing six songs. I, I liken it, it to, to. I liken it to cricket. Um, so this this analogy may be lost on any of you three. I'm not sure. But there's this format called five day test match cricket, which supposedly what? no one never heard of it. <laughs> no one likes it Rick Rubin. because all Talk the youngsters have got no attention spans and they can't concentrate on this long thing that goes over five days and all they want is wash, uh, crash bang wallop 2020 cricket and actually the reality lies somewhere in the middle which is that the new form is affecting the long form but ultimately people who are growing up and starting to play cricket were they 19, mm. 18 they still really respect the long form of the game. And I think the, the, the new artists worth their salt still respect the album form. Exactly. Artists love albums. Like, mm. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine that's changed. I take a long time. Mm. Every, everyone's grown up listening to albums and, and the classic age of rock is not going to disappear. People are going to grow up listening to those bands. Can you imagine being in a band without thinking about your album that you're going to make? And, you know. So that's a really good point because one thing that's coming through for me in this is that these guys are thinking about what they're doing here like in, in what they're kind of writing and referencing and you know who they're writing with and how they're putting this thing together they put thought into this as as a kind of um a piece of work kind of in and of itself they're not just trying to like slam out a, a single that's going to kind of get them back in the news they're they're making they've made a record here and they've thought about it and i think what you've just said there about thinking is really important in relation to that because maybe that's maybe there's a difference there between what is a pop record and what's something like a kind of rock a rock record or an indie rock record that um it's not a kind of um you know one shot kind of effort they're sort of they don't need to do that they're mm. they don't really care what happens with it other than what they've what they make of it one thing that they've always done though is made made decisions they've never shied away from making the decision about okay, we'll put the whole vocal for the entire first album through a guitar amp, make it sound like it's been phoned in on overdrive. Or we were talking about the, the tale about them spending 48 hours on a snare drum sound 
or the structures of the songs that were just sort of three elongated pieces on those first albums. I don't want to repeat ourselves, but there were brave structures and they'd clearly been thought had gone into that. Maybe they weren't experienced enough or using using the studio staff that could put them onto even more sort of advanced uh, techniques, but they were always making tough decisions that other bands weren't. Yeah. Shall we go into the latter third of the album? The track number seven is called, um, it was a slight variation on the Morrissey-esque theme, Why Are Sundays So Depressing?
Well, I still haven't heard a shit song yet. No, that was getting more towards the new roads played through a Zoom box, but uh, it's still, <laughs> still pretty good. What a touch of the new roads about that. Um, obviously, the new roads had a touch of that about them, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's the nearest that we had to sort of play to type. Three things I wrote down about this. One is there's a cardigan song that... that um, yeah. It's probably a couple of cardigan songs, maybe one of the early singles and then one off Gran Turismo. Mm. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to get it, so feel free to Google that. Uh, I thought the guitar sounded like a Geiger counter, which was cool. What the, wow, wow. That, that's that's when you met a ra- radiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't oh, it was all um, irregular. It wasn't it wasn't measured. It was, that was really nice. And then I thought it would sound really good or it would be a really good candidate for um, uh, uh, lip reading and subtitles because there was a, the second or third line sounded like he said, uh, Babies go and lie on me, sir. <laughs> babies go and lie on me, sir. I presume he didn't say babies go and lie on me, sir. I think um, nobody mm. puts their best track at number seven. Just don't mm. do it. Mm. And also the thing is, even though I incorrectly said the last song was five in the middle, it was number six, but that was such a good song and such an arresting song. That's why we all went for a piss and got a drink, right? Because you don't go away in the middle of a really good song. At, and therefore, True. you can't put a really, really good song after a really good song. It's a palate cleanser, isn't it? You, yeah. Everyone needs a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah. I wonder it's if... A, uh, it's I a bladder it's... emptier. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be. Um, a new I wonder one. if it's also um, if, if they don't put that on the uh, on yeah. the marketing on the sleeve. <laughs> Number Empty seven, bladder. a real bladder emptier. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was also a little bit in the middle where um, where he sort of sounded like me um, at, at the end of a night in the pub. We're hungry and also angry and. <laughs> What's a pub? Oh yeah, pub. Pub. Uh, pub is what Tesco's delivers and goes under the stairs at the moment. Now, we've got two more tracks on this album. So my bet is that they're going to be quite good. Or they should be. Oh. At least one of them. <laughs> now the bladders are empty and the glasses are full. Yeah. Let's go, Strokes. This is called Not the Same Anymore. i 
I think we're once bitten twice shy, aren't we? 
What do you mean? Don't want to fade it out. In, don't want to fade it out in case something interesting happens. Mm. Yeah, that was that, that was, was the candidate for an early fade out. Yeah, who knew? Mm. So goodness, it must be the next song that's really good. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That that, that was I'm there quite... was something very confessional there, wasn't there? That was mm. I, either yeah, very I... confessional or a very well observed uh, vignette about somebody else's life. I got lost in that one a bit again, not not um, to the same extent as um, at the door, but um, I got lost in it, and then I got interested in the um, the artwork for the album, and I I googled it while I was listening to that, and it's um, it's by a guy called Basquiat, Jean Michel Basquiat, who I don't know anything about, but um, his his painting, which is the artwork, is um, a reflection on his love for Charlie Parker, which is quite interesting. So there's like there's a reference in that artwork, and the Strokes are kind of using that as a reference. And we've kind of talked quite a lot about the fact that lots of these songs seem to reference something, like either in the sound or um, mm. like I don't well, know. Basquiat is a famous um, uh, from the New York art scene, an enfant mm. terrible. I think of the Andy Warhol school. Um, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's probably as much for his relation to New York as it is anything um, that they probably chose that because they have been entrenched in, in New York. Their their whole identity is linked to New York as a band. As, as the next track seems to intimate, because it's called an ode to the Mets, which I know you sports fans will understand as a the New York Mets baseball team. Of course. Um, just before you move on to the last track, does anybody know anything about? The uncle's house reference, and uh, did Julian Casablancas live with his uncle, or is it about somebody else? Does anybody know anything about it, or have any hunches? No, I mean we could speculate about his father and his uh, his CD uh, management mm. of the elite model management company. Maybe he needed oh. to escape to his uncle's house. But no, I, I'd like to listen to that song again sometime and listen to the lyrics properly because it had that, you know, the, obviously musically it was not the most original or, you know, it had that, but it, it, it provided a nice background for this very confrontational, uh, you know, uh, confessional vocal. Also, um, he said, you make a better window than a door, whereas yeah. my mum consistently told me, you make a better door than a window. <laughs> really? <laughs> what does yeah. that mean? It means if you walk in front of someone when they're trying to watch TV, they can't see through you. <laughs> so, okay. So then... Now everyone's got their own screens. It doesn't matter. That's an yeah, un yeah, true. unusable... Yeah. Maybe that's what Julian Casablancas is saying. We're all better windows than doors now. <laughs> or nobody gives a shit whether we're a window or a door. So this is Ode to the Mets. A very silly title, may I add. <laughs> oh, this is the one that's a rip-off of Change Me. <laughs> <laughs> it is as well, I can hear it. Oh, 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 oh,
Seems like a fitting end. Uh, a nice song. Hmm. Yeah. It's nice, but there's some barbed lyrics in there. I was just bored playing guitar. Learn all your tricks. It wasn't too hard. I guess we'll find out the truth when I come when I get back or something like that. Surely about someone in the band. Yeah, I did feel like it was uh, old friends trying to get to kind of be friendly once again, but some of the old problems coming back and mm. didn't old uh, Hammy Jr. have a bit of a drug problem, and uh, they felt like the band was. Uh, felt felt like he let them down or something. Potentially, although there's all sorts of issues between them. Yeah, um, I, I never kept up with the whole story of their issues. <laughs> um, they stayed together, right? I mean, that's that's interesting in itself. They went and did all this stuff. A lot of bands, twenty years, you know, they have all kinds of lineup changes. Mm. So, Mickey, it's been a pleasure. Did you have something to add? No, well, just the fact that if, if you know, you're right, Jim, um, and, you know, maybe there's all sorts of stuff being said there, but if they're singing about it in a song that they're all playing together, that means something as well. Mm. That's true. And I think, uh, well, I know Albert Hammond Jr. has released a lot of stuff on Julian Casablanca's label, so it's not that they're, it's almost like he's a patron to them now. Mm. I mean, my, my last thought on it was just, you know, that, it, again, I kind of got a bit lost in that song, but I could I could kind of listen to Julian Casablanca's doing his thing. I know that it's not just him, it's the Strokes as well, but I've kind of got a bit used to his voice because I've listened to his voice a lot over the last few years, like not just the Strokes, but the voice as well. But also I'm just reminded now that in terms of like our history together and um, uh, not not in the sense of my music, my whole musical education, but, but the bit where I kind of really got involved in music myself, like I've kind of grown up with this band, but particularly this guy's voice. And mm. I felt, I felt really at home with his voice just in that last song. It's, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what he's singing. It's just, I'm happy to kind of um, be around when he's doing whatever he wants to do. It's true. There's, a, there's, a, there's times when an artist becomes like a warm blanket for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're so familiar with what they come up with that actually you just want to consume it. And um, yeah, we it's talked to surprise you. We talked about this in the, in the past. I think maybe on the vocal episode. Just sometimes a voice, but it's like someone's like an old friend. They've been around for so long, you know. Yeah. Like so, like we've we've actually been listening to the Strokes, maybe not regularly, but for like half of our lives, mm. they've been there. <laughs> Also, also, you know, again, I didn't like, I wasn't part of the, the, the previous Strokes podcast, but this guy is kind of as old as us. And, you know, I remember that when we really got going as a band in London, we were, you know, really inspired by the Strokes. And I don't think we were trying to kind of copy them, but maybe we were kind of trying to um, get on the same trajectory in some way. That was kind of our ambition. So these guys have been doing something that we can relate to. And like that's that's still the case. Like we didn't carry on doing what we were doing, and they did, in, in terms of like working as musicians and, and kind of doing that. But um, they've kind of they've continued that trajectory, and it, I guess I feel I've kind of got a relationship with them in an ongoing way. They're still making music. Be... They just made they just made they just made another album, right? That I'm really interested in. Yeah. So to draw the episode towards a con- kind of conclusion. 
And it's nice that you're talking about how they've stuck together, uh, because in a way, uh, this this little episode, the four of us getting together and listening to an album, is reminiscent of what we did way back in 1998. And um, I don't know, Mick, if you remember Pembroke Bar on the 20th uh, of November 1998, but that was the, the date of our first gig as a band, and in the week leading up to that we did photos and there was a there's a poster with the four of us mm. um it looks rather more delicious than the zoom uh picture i have of us now <laughs> uh, our, our four headshots looking slightly different than they did back in in 1998 um but i've got a track here that we all played and we played on that night um and I thought it might be worth listening to.
So, my overarching kind of thought about that is that, Mick, you are the only one who stands the test of time. The drum sound is fine. The rest is bollocks. <laughs> you talking about... I was awful. I've been playing drums for six months. No, it's got a really nice, like, relaxed kind of style uh, to what? it. It's good. What? The production quality is slow. Are... I think it's slow as fuck because I couldn't keep up. Uh, that, that's, that's probably for another episode. Yeah, that changed. Like, so uh, that was... A, it was a steep learning curve. Before the strokes, just listeners, by the way. That wasn't us being influenced by the strokes. That was us three years before the strokes, before our metamorphosis. But wow. Mm. Yeah. Yes, no, there's thing. nothing sonically to take from that. That's just purely a, a memory filler. Uh, it was done, I think, that recording in Sydney Music Room off your four track. We're still using mm. tape. And you can still hear the bass that you bought from Ken Stevens Music Store, Jim. Mm-hmm. And you can still hear the Zoom pedal that you used on your guitar effects, Tom. Um, and God, whatever really drum kit wish Sydney I could have said. not. Yeah, not, not had to hear that but, vocal again. But yeah, I hadn't really realised that this was the original cling when we were set up to do this, that it was the four of us for a while. Mm. So I'm glad you played that because um, that is where it all started. Okay, so Mike, uh, you were a linguist along with Jim. Tradition has it that we, we end the podcast by you bidding adieu in whatever the language of your choice is. So take a language and say goodnight to the good listeners. Well, it's got to be German. There's a half German. So I'm going to say, Guten Abend, Dankeschön. Raus! <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's buggered my farewell. Say it anyway. Good night, everybody. Same again. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We'll play a better song at the end next time. <laughs>